0: time to talk about all things racing NASCAR IndyCar sports cars and Formula One this is the final inspection show presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove now here's your host Steve Zocchi
1: And good afternoon. I'm Steve Zotke. You're listening to the final inspection show. Once again on the airs, on the airwaves at Sports Radio 1057, FM the Fan. Appreciate you listening. Jeff Ralowski joining me in studio, and it's another year, and uh it's another racing season, and it uh is uh certainly fun. For me, it it's it's the funnest part of the year because it's a new season. Everything is new, and uh, I'm really pumped up for the season. We have cars on the track at Daytona, and it, it, it's 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 kind of cool, you know. And and today, uh, of course, I'm thinking, oh yeah, we got the Bush Clash. But whoa, whoa, whoa! That's right. They changed that. The Bush Clash is actually on tomorrow after qualifying. And I'm thinking, hmm. It's I'm checking my uh uh. Checking my channel uh, schedule guide at home. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Is that channel? Six? Oh, it's not on national TV. It's on FS1. I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I like that. I think it should. Uh, we should have had uh, the Bush Clash on at 11 and uh, on national TV, have that in qualifying. For some reason, Fox insists on putting qualifying on national tv now now i'm thinking well yeah you're a nascar fan and you're listening to this show you're probably thinking well yeah that makes sense well yeah for us because we're racing fans and you know it, qualifying at daytona is is kind of cool just because it's kind of like an introduction to all the teams and drivers so you know, you go, okay, here comes, you know, Denny Hamlin, the FedEx car, blah, blah. Okay, who's, what's new? What's new? Crew chief, you kind of go through each team and, and, and what's new, who, any changes or a new team, new driver, new sponsor, new, all that. And it's kind of nice as you go. And it, you know, it gives, it gives the, uh, uh, Jeff Gordon, Mike Joyner, those guys, a chance for you to kind of, for them to discuss what's new on that team in the time it takes for them to do a qualifying run. So that way, for, for the, for the racing geeks, it makes sense. But I'm not sure if a guy, you know, the guy the guy who's looking for the basketball game or, or something uh, is looking through there. say, like, oh, one car driving around by itself. I mean, it might not be the most compelling TV as opposed to a group of cars such as during the Bush Clash might actually kind of be more compelling TV. And then, don't forget, later today, are you ready for the XFL? Yes, the Los Angeles Wildcats and the Houston Roughnecks. It's going to make even the, the the Fox landscape, sports landscape, even a little more crowded. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I have a friend of mine, Dave Scoggin, in Indianapolis. He is the drag racing guy. He loves his drag racing. And he's already worried because this weekend uh, the drag racing world opens up at Pump. Pomona this weekend and you know they're worried about TV and you know they're gonna get bumped and this and that and so it'll be interesting to see how the XFL affects if it will any of the NASCAR schedule and where, where they move races and whatnot so that's that's also an interesting uh situation but um and then of course one of my favorite I <laughs> one of my favorite races yes it's the Arca 300 at Daytona. And uh, there's always, you know, this get ready for social social media for all the jokes and this and that. But hey, it's a way for guys to get experience. Whether you're you you just want to race at Daytona or you're a young kid trying to get through the ranks, you, you got you know, race the arca race. Many drivers have done it in the past, even guys like Juan Montoya, Danica Patrick. Uh, Denny Hamlin, the Bush boys, all these guys have usually ended up driving the ARCA race to get their super speedway license. And it'll be interesting to see. Now, unfortunately the last few, few races hasn't the last, uh, 20, maybe even 50 laps has has not been the most compelling television and racing as uh, everybody kind of once, once, once all the wrecking is done. You get your top 10 guys, and they're like, hey, I don't want to wreck my car. I'm in the top 10. I'm happy with it. I don't even think I can pass anyways, so why take the chance? And it's a lot, it's been a lot of uh, single-file racing at the ARCA race as of late. But, um, it, you know, it, I, it's still, hey, it's February. I want to see some racing, and I'm pretty sure you are too. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. Uh, of course, the ARCA race is on the FS1 network, 3.30 uh, local time. If you're listening uh, on on the interwebs in Indianapolis, of course, that is uh, 4.30 local time. And always a good time, the ARCA race. And uh, there was once uh, a media person who once uh, famously said in the Daytona press room, how do you know when the ARCA race is over? When they fill up all the beds at Halifax Hospital. So if you know who that person was, you can certainly picture him saying that. So. Um, we got a great show today, though. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to first show of the year. And uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to be talking with Dennis Michelson And uh, of course, Dennis is uh, once again joining the show. He's our NASCAR guy, and we're going to kind of be going through the changes, uh, what what's been new, and what's you know what's going on in the world of NASCAR. So uh, we'll be talking to Dennis. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the uh, first hour, uh, I did an interview last week with Tom Sneva, who is in Chicago for a dinner. And uh, sat down, so we'll, we'll see what's, what's happening in the world of Tom Sneva. And, uh, and listen to, to Tom, of course, the 1983 Indianapolis 500 winner and also won three races in a row at the Milwaukee Mile. So looking forward to that. Second hour, we have David Land's going to be joining us, and we'll be talking all sorts of stuff, what's what's going on in the world of IndyCar racing and elsewhere. And then uh, we have a new segment coming up in in the second hour, it's called three questions with Larry. Uh, Larry, one of our best listeners and a good friend of mine, uh, who always after the show, usually or Sunday or later in the week, always asks me some great questions. It's like, well, you know, maybe we need to put this on the show because he he kind of comes in from an area like, okay, that's an interesting way of thinking about things. And I thought, hey, let's put him on the show. Give me I don't know what the questions are. These are going to be out of the blue. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it works out. And, of course, we'll close out the show with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com, who is down in Daytona for the 24 hours of Daytona, and we'll talk about what's going on there. And also, David Land was also in Daytona. Uh, so, I mean, we'll be talking uh, what, what happened a couple weeks ago in the 24 hours of Daytona. That is the real kickoff of racing at Speed Weeks. And then, of course, if you really want to be hardcore, the racing season, as we all know, kicks off in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for the Chili Bowl, where Kyle Larson finally got his win. And it's interesting; uh, it looked like it was going to be Christopher Bell once again. And last year, Christopher Bell kind of did a kind of hip-checked uh, Kyle Kyle Larson, in making a pass. It was, it was an aggressive pass, but he, you know, kind of hip-hipped him uh, out of the way and went on to win the race. Well, this year, basically, Kyle Larson returned to favor and a real aggressive pass and kind of hip-checked Christopher Bell out of the way on the way to victory. But, boy, the first third half of that uh, race, it looked like it was going to be Christopher Bell's race uh, all the way. And so kudos to uh, Kyle Larson, who said that was his biggest win of the career. And, uh, I mean, certainly uh, when the when when the guys are all out uh, in the RVs and that, one of the things I'm sure that's been mentioned over the years is, hey, Kyle, you don't have a chili bowl window. So now they can uh, no longer tease him about that. So uh, congratulations to Kyle Larson. So let's take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Dennis Michelson coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Once again, of course, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway In Union Grove, make sure to check out Great Lakes Dragway on Facebook and social media and online where you can get your 2020 season pass now.
0: This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The
1: Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get your 2020 season passes now at Great Lakes Dragway. Make sure you check them out online or on Facebook, too. Uh, you can go right through their Facebook page and order them online. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Dennis Michelson. Dennis, welcome to the show.
2: Mr. Zotti.
3: it is so great to be back because this is the first sign that we get every year, that spring is only 12 weeks away.
1: (laughs) That's pretty much it. Um, I really don't want to say this, but, um, you know, it hasn't been that bad of a winter.
3: It has been a quiet winter for the Midwest, and I know we shouldn't say that, but we're past the point of no return Mm -hmm. of getting that bitterly cold You know, minus fifteen for like four days in a row. We're beyond that. We're we're past those magical dates. Uh, We are actually going to get into spring. The only question I have is, do we pay for this mild weather by having a wet, cold spring and a horrible start to the drag racing season? Out of great flakes, a drag away. I don't think so.
1: Because let's face it, last year. Talk to anybody over the age of 40. They they pretty much would uh, back us up on this, that it was probably the worst spring ever for oh, the yeah. Midwest. And it, the last few springs, actually, I think the one before that might have been okay, but then we had a, like a bunch that were really bad. And I think it's, it, you know, if the law of averages, even if it's not a good or great spring, it should be at least average. And at this point, I'll take an average spring considering some of the last springs we've had so i
3: like that theory you know i I'll mean subscribe to your theory
1: you know let's have let's have actually have a spring this time where you know it's it's yeah. like the weather that we're having now march it's a little warmer april it's getting warmer towards the end of april the grass is greening up and the trees are budding and then you know by may you know it's starting to pick up now
3: that would be nice if we got away from schizophrenic weather to, you know, more typical weather. It would be quite a
1: treat. Exactly. Well, let's see here. It is the 2020 season, and it, it's it's like I was saying in, in the previous segment, you know, I for us racing geeks and that, we don't mind uh qualifying at Daytona because we're seeing these cars for the first time, to- you know, first time. And it's a great way to kind of you know no no t- the eleven team no the uh, you know the six team et cetera et cetera so you kind of get an in- introduction and you know it's it, it's it's a nice TV package because for the time it takes them to do the qualifying run you kind of get a nice little in- encapsulation of what's going on with that team.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. You know, you get a little idea of uh, you know who's changed crew chiefs, who's changed. Teams, who's changed this, who's changed that. Um, you know, the, the thing about Daytona, we don't learn anything about who's going to be the strongest team during the rest of the season. Right. But it's just so good they have racing back. And to be honest with you, last year's package, the, the little tweak that they made, especially in the middle of the season, after the Daytona 500, they made a tweak in the restrictor plate package that got us better racing for the last three restrictor plate races of the year. So I am very optimistic that we're going to see some really, really good racing at the Daytona uh, week here uh, for speed weeks. I'm, I'm really optimistic about the clash tomorrow and about the Daytona 500 next week.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I, a little birdie told me, that you actually put together a little chart and a little thing already uh, that can be uh, that if the fans want to follow along, they can uh, find online.
3: Absolutely, at Frontstretch.com this year, uh, I have been tasked to do the new and improved power rankings, which is actually kind of neat because it's very similar to the old top twenty poll that got me uh, recognized by the final inspection all those many years ago. Um, so I have been brought back to do the power rankings from Front Stretch this year, and I'm so excited. We're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to use the input of some great radio guys and some great radio or writers in the business, and we're going to put together a top 16 because only 16 drivers make the playoffs. So it doesn't make sense they have a top 20 anymore. So we're going to do a top 16 each and every week, and it's going to be fun to see how guys move up and down. This isn't about the points, folks, because points are irrelevant in Mm -hmm. today's NASCAR. It's who's got the most momentum and who is most likely to be raising the cup at the end of the year. So uh, it might surprise some people who I put at the top, but I'm going pretty chalky. But since we haven't had a repeat winner in uh, NASCAR's Cup division since 2010, I am not picking the defending champ.
1: Well, let's let's take a look. Let's start at uh, 16. Who do, who do we have at number 16?
3: 16. I'm going with a Rook, who I think is going to do well if he gets proper uh, support for his team from uh, JGR. I'm going with Christopher Bell.
1: Yeah, I, I like that pick. It, this is the, the most intriguing, I think, uh, ride-driver combination, team combination of the year because it'll be interesting to see. This is a team that, um, who's who started off, uh, the, I mean, th- th- let's face it, they were a tail ender, backmarker, whatever you want to call field filler, and but has slowly built up uh, and they've gotten better each and every year. And last year, what they were able to do with uh, Matt Burrito, as we like to call him on the show, uh, it was really, really impressive. A couple times they they probably could have won a race. It didn't work out that way. But, uh, you know, with Christopher Bell now and with some uh, more input from uh, JGR, I think this is going to be a really compelling and and interesting pick. And I think you're going to see – uh, a lot of ebbs and flows uh, on this team, aren't we? We're going to see some uh, maybe uh, finishes in the 30s, but there's going to be some impressive uh, uh, races too, aren't we?
3: Yeah, I think we are. This team reminds me so much of Berkshire Row Racing from years ago. They started out barely making races. Even though they had a good shoe and Kenny Wallace, they had lousy equipment and they struggled to make the races. Once they got the right alignment, and ironically with JGR, Uh, all of a sudden they turned into a winning team and then to a championship team. And then of course they went away. But I think with Christopher bell, while it's a big jump from Xfinity to cup, nobody has been more prepared in recent years to make that cup 15 wins over the last two seasons. That's hard to, to vote against. And if they truly are a fifth JGR team, as I'm expecting uh, C-Bell has a really good chance of being very impressive this year.
1: I like to think of uh, Christopher Bell as kind of like that four-year player, whether it's basketball or football, who who stayed his entire time in college before he got yes. drafted, isn't yes. he?
3: Yes, he's exactly that. that. That's a great analogy indeed.
1: Uh, who do you have for
3: 15? 15th, I'm going with Guido, Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, running for the Wood Brothers. I think we're going to see the Wood Brothers back in the chase. And, you know, that's a kid that I'm really, really high on. Of course, he's not a kid anymore. But I've been following him since he was 15 or 16, running late models, uh, and moved cross-country to to get a, a leg up in this business. He's a good kid. He's a talented kid. And now he's getting a chance to show what he can do with the Wood Brothers, who, of course, have that great Penske equipment that they use. So uh, it's a good combo platter for uh, Guido to show what he can do in this sport, that's why I put him in at 15.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting uh, team, too, just almost as compelling as the 95. But uh, it'll be interesting to see just getting another driver in there, and, you know, is he going to do better than uh, Paul Menard? I think you and I uh, think that he can And uh, also with, you know, Ford, Ford has been, you know, picking up uh, momentum last few years. I I think if you talk to the people, I think it's a Toyota right on top and then Ford right behind it. And then Chevy is is maybe lagging behind a bit, but it'll be interesting to see what inroads uh, Chevy slash basically uh, Hendrick. Uh, racing can do this coming year. But, yeah, 21, interesting. It would be great to see them in the the chase at the end of the year or the playoffs, I should say, at the end of the year. Let's go to uh, number 14, sir.
3: 14, if I gave bonus points for being funny in interviews, I'd have to move this guy uh, up into the top three. But Mr. Clint Boyer, uh, he gets a crew chief swap, and I might have him a little low at 14. Um, But I really like his chances of being pretty good, but not great. And that's why I put him in here at 14. It gets really tough to rank some of these guys. And, in fact, from about 6 to 14, I could jumble these guys around quite a bit. But I'm a little bit concerned of a slow start to the season with the crew chief swaps over at Penske.
1: That's why I've got Clint Boyer coming in this year at number fourteen. Yeah, this is interesting because I I could see him also missing it though. Too, you know, I mean, this is this is a guy who needs to get a win, but the question is, will he get a win? And if he doesn't, can he actually point his way into the playoffs? And it he was oh so close, but you could see the frustration last year with Boyer, and you wonder how much of that was team, how much of that was him. I mean, he's, you know, as has he, you know, as it he's reached the zenith as his driving ability. I mean, he's he's not an old guy, but you wonder is the package there? You know, it'd be really interesting to see. I don't know. This is a guy who could finish anywhere from tenth in the points to twenty second in my in in my it, opinion.
3: Exactly. You exactly. Know, so. that's exactly it, and that's why I've, I put him in there at fourteen, saying. I really like his chances of making the chase, but I'm just not sure of him yeah. uh, enough to put him any higher than, than you know, to, to keep him in the top 10. So 14, I think, is a pretty reasonable bet for Clint. But if I had to put like a uh, a high and low for him, I would say as, as high as a champion
1: and as low as
3: 25th in points. I mean, there is, there's just such variability with Clint Boyer. If he gets hot at the right time, mm-hmm. that's going to be the key this season.
1: Yeah, and he and and for the sport, it's good if he makes it into the playoffs because Clinton is one of the best interviewers out there. He's a great personality, and I think if you would uh, take the uh, you know, I think for the, for the fan base, he's he's definitely a top five driver for for most uh, most of the people in the stands at NASCAR race.
3: And what you see is on TV mm-hmm. is what you get. Exactly, it's one of the most genuine, nice. And in the sport,
1: how about Lucky Thirteen? Thirteen,
3: I'm putting his teammate in the other half of the crew chief swap. I'm putting Eric almarola in the thirteenth spot this year.
1: Yeah, that's another. That's another one that could go. You know, anywhere from, in my opinion, you know, uh, from tenth to twenty second. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. Can he get a win? He's been close. You know, boy, uh, don't know the, both of these. You know, Stuart Haas. This is going to be an interesting year because uh, you got you got Harvick, and then kind of everybody else, and then you throw in Cole Custer, who is uh, kind of been thrown into the deep end. I think he's got talent. You, you can tell that he's, he's he's taking this seriously, but you know it's just gonna it, it's gonna take some time with him. And but uh, yeah, for, the you know we, let's see what he can do. But you know what? He's been in this sport for a while, hasn't he? Oh,
3: absolutely. He's no spring chicken anymore. Right. And I, I remember seeing him win his first race in NASCAR at the Milwaukee yes. Mile, and he wasn't even there at the end of the race. So it was <laughs> uh, one of those funny things. But both of those guys, both Marola and Boyer, I think, are on the hot seat. If they do not win, if they do not make the chase, I kind of looked at their their contracts not being renewed the next time they come around.
1: And then what are we at? Number 12 now, right?
3: Number 12, lucky number 12. Maybe this is just a sentimental pick, but I'm not sure what was the rule package or father time that caught up to the guy known as seventh time. Mm-hmm. I'm putting Jimmy Johnson in the 12th spot for his farewell season and I'm just hoping he shows up and has a great season. I hate when these guys in their final year just go out there and struggle mightily. I'm hoping we see closer to a championship quality out of Jimmy Johnson. But I admit it's more sentimental than anything putting up him up as high as number 12.
1: I have lunch saying that he will not make the playoffs this year.
3: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. It would not shock me, but I just have a feeling that we're going to see them go all out to try to make the farewell season a good one, and I'm just thinking Jimmy Johnson does not want to go out in his final year racing for the lucky dog position all year. I think he wants to at least show up and make the chase, so I'm being very, very nice to uh, Jimmy Johnson, but... Until he shows me on the track that he's washed up, I'm going to give seven time the benefit of the doubt.
1: All right. And then how about number 11?
3: Number 11 is a guy that I'm just not really sure of. But, and I really didn't think much of him when he first came to the cup level. I wasn't sure what he was going to do, but he sort of outpunched his weight class of what I expected from him and he's seen a good improvement from his rookie year to his second year, I'm going to put William Byron in the number 11 slot this year.
1: If you look at the second half or even the last third of the year, he was really getting, uh, you know, starting to get into his groove, I thought, at the end of the year. And we do a, uh, a NASCAR pool here uh uh, the Winterhawk League that's been around for 10-plus years. And, and I, I, I finally won the championship uh, last year, and a lot of it was because of uh, Byron at the at the end of the year really pushed me over the top.
3: He tripled his number of top 10 finishes from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. That's a huge increase. and And, of course, he was just one of the most consistent guys on points. Still looking for that first win, but you know how it goes in this sport once you break through for that first win that second win is a lot easier to get
1: well and I think it's it, you know put him in a Hendrick car from you know four or five years ago and I think he gets that win I think it's just because it was a down year for Hendrick overall but uh you know he, he he's he's getting there he's starting to get his his groove on and yeah I, I can definitely see him winning the race this year and I, I, I I'm I think he's yeah if He's definitely one of my guys. I think that will be in the playoffs at the end of the year.
3: Yeah, I like his chances. Uh, you know, he's one that I didn't have a lot of faith in, and he sort of won
4: me over.
1: Well, you know, and it's it's like, and how many times have we seen this? You know, whether in any sport, when you go from what that next, you know, from the from the call whatever you want the college level to the pros, and at you know, some guys that that look good in the college level, that first round pick, and they just don't pan out, and there are some of that, you know. Boomer bust with him coming up to the next level. Let's face it, you know they got him for a good price at Hendrick. And that was one of the re- reasons why he was bought, you know, brought up into the twenty four car. And it, you know, it, it's it, you know, it, it's. I think it's going to pay dividends. I think he's got the talent, and uh, you know, let, let, let's see what happens. So, how about number? Yeah.
3: yeah, he brought a he he brought a unique sponsorship package. Oh, yeah. to them. And, and he that's why he was in the car originally, is because he could bring the money, mm-hmm. and he's going to stick around based on talent.
1: Yes. Number 10.
3: Probably one of my favorite drivers in NASCAR right now, so that might skew it a little bit, but he's really got the pressure on him. With Christopher Bell over there in the satellite team, Byron Michigan's Eric Jones is on the hot seat. And every time in this kid's career that he's been on the hot seat, we've seen success out of him. So I really think he's going to pick up his game in 2020.
1: Yeah, this, I, you know, he's got talent in that, and I and, and, and agree with you, but I really don't have a good, you know, how he's going to this for for this year, to be honest. So I don't I don't have a problem with you putting him at number 10. He could easily be at number 16. I think he'll make the playoffs. He should make the playoffs with the equipment he has and uh when you're being pushed from behind like he is with christopher bell usually a guy like that can can provide results so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh w- with him and uh you know bad haircut you know with sanding.
3: <laughs> exactly exactly and again i've been a big fan of that kid since he was like the first time i saw him in a in a limited late model he was like 13 years old mm-hmm. so been following him forever. He's got a great story. Uh, he's very sponsor friendly. He's with the best team as far as equipment goes. And if he doesn't finish in the top ten here, uh, he's going to be out of a ride real quick because there's other guys coming up in the ranks. To okay, I,
1: I got to call you on this one. Sponsor friendly? How is he sponsor friendly?
3: He is a great interview. At uh, is he at appearances? Okay, at appearances not on TV. He's awful on TV, but the kid really turns on the charm when he's one-on-one with these people from the sponsors, you know, bring in a bunch of different people from the sponsor, you know, for the weekend. I've seen him glad handing it and, and, you know, shaking hands, taking pictures. He's in his element. He is not very good on TV, but he is incredible when you see him, Uh, work in a crowd at one of these VIP experiences that he does for for his various sponsors. He surprises me. He's one of those guys that is awful on TV, uh, very pre-programmed, almost like Jimmy Johnson, where he's super pre-programmed. He never, you know, strays from the script, never uh, says anything interesting. He's kind of like the, the, uh, you know, the Coach Belichick of NASCAR drivers. You know, he's going on to Daytona. Um, but when he's in with the sponsor appearances at the track, the guy is really friendly, and the sponsors love him one-on-one. It's a, it's an incredible contrast.
1: All right, very good. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Dennis, of course, uh, is giving us his uh, top 16 that can be found on frontstretch.com. We'll do number nine here, and then we'll take a break. Uh, who do you have for number nine?
3: Another one of my favorite drivers, and I almost scold myself for having him this low, Mr. Ryan Blaney. Uh, He's got so much talent. He's with good equipment. But for some reason, he has seemed to underperform. I just don't get why this guy has not been able to win more often. Only three races has he won over a three-year period. I want to see more than one win a year out of you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Brian Blaney. And if I start to see a five or six or seven win season, I'll put you up there in the top three or four because talent-wise, this kid's got it, but he still seems to have that, you know, Blaney family DNA of short-race mentality. You put him in the long races and he finds a way to make a mistake that, you know, snatches the, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory and keeps him out of victory lane more often. But Ryan Blaney, he's one of those guys that just is, is begging for a big breakout season. He kind of reminds me of one of those, you know, third round or, or third year wide receiver breakouts mm-hmm. in uh, fantasy football where all of a sudden the guy goes from, you know, being 60 catches and 800 yards to all of a sudden, you know, 95 catches and 1,800 yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, he's got the talent to make that breakout and have that huge season. But until I see it, I can't put him any higher than number
1: nine. I I totally agree with you. I think this could be a breakout season for Ryan Blaney. It just remains to be seen. I think he's got all the tools uh, at his disposal. And it'll be interesting to see if he can finally make that jump and – you know, there, this is a guy that could could, uh, be going for a championship this year, and, and you wonder what might happen if he doesn't, if he has another mediocre season. You know, he's been so close, and he, it just seems like he's ready to make that jump, and I think if he does, this is going to be the year he does it. I like to see that. I think he's, uh, he, he's, a, he's a young kid. Uh, the the team and everything is is finally I think jelling enough where you know he could be that guy I'd, I'd like to see I, I, and to be honest I'd rather see him in victory lane than his teammate JoJo. <laughs> yeah,
3: and, and the the uh, the videos that Ryan Blaney does uh, throughout the season are absolutely hilarious. If you don't follow him on social media, you need to.
4: He he, is a-
1: funny. Ed. He has a real dry sense of humor and yes he, he's he got a little bit of a, a, I don't want to say grittiness to him but he's not he's not you know if, if you if you're not a fan of Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon you should gravitate over to uh, Ryan Blaney if you know what I mean.
3: He's no. not PC. Yes. He, for a NASCAR driver. Right. Anyway. I mean especially know, he's Penske. A normal human being yeah exactly he, but he's, he's allowed to He's been given a lot of leash to talk, and so far he hasn't, he hasn't jumped over the line. But he is very interesting and, and very humorous. He's a funny guy and uh, also another one of those guys who, you know, I, I followed him when he was just coming up through the circuit, and he's not gotten a big head about being in Cup. He's a good kid.
1: And uh, where, where can we find this on frontstretch.com?
3: Uh, frontstretch.com, it'll be, I believe, posted on Tuesday morning,
1: all okay. season long. Very good. Let's take a quick break, uh, Dennis, and then uh, when we return, we'll go through, uh, I guess, where are we? That was just eight. Top eight. Yeah. All right, top yep. eight. Coming up next on The Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get your 2020 season passes now at Great Lakes Dragway. You can find them on their website and also on Facebook. And uh, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from Funstretch.com. it is Dennis Michelson. As we go through his power rankings, pre preseason, the, the all is controversial, right? uh, preseason rankings (laughs) with Dennis Michelson. Oh oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing is like in NASCAR racing, it's easy to come up with the top five. Okay. My top five, I'm feeling really confident about, but 16 guys make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So you, if you're not ranking 16 and then if you take just chalks, you know, you just go with the chalks. Um, you're not doing your job, so I try to project a couple of guys, you know, based on the what if their equipment gets better, what if they suddenly turn it around, what if they they mesh with the new crew chief, and that's how I came up with the preseason picks. These are all on my own, although I did factor in this year uh, quite a bit in the way of the Vegas odds because what whether it's you know NASCAR racing, NFL, or Who's going to win a presidential election? If you look at where the smart betting money is going, usually they have a pretty good idea. So I factored that into my mix this year as well.
1: All right, very good. And uh, let's go with number eight.
3: I cannot believe it's been eight years since we saw that drunk interview with Brad Keselowski on ESPN. Do you remember that Mm -hmm. when he was drinking the big old beer? how can it be eight years? How could eight years have gone by already? That just seems unreal to me. But when you look at the stats, only two other drivers led more laps than Brad Keselowski last year. And they will be my top two picks going into this season. Brad Keselowski at number eight might be too low. But it's one of these things where it's almost like he peaked. And he doesn't get to victory lane as often as he used to. And until I see that turnaround, I'm going to keep him in the top 10, but I'm not going to push him any higher than eight because I'm not so sure he's rising anymore. Uh, I'm kind of thinking he's just kind of trying to hold where he is.
1: Well, and here's the most shocking part of the number two team. And it's kind of sad, uh, you know, the way we're, we're, we're going in the world and whatnot in a particular company, but uh, Miller Lite will only be on that car for one race.
3: That is crazy because that has been the sponsor in some form, whether it's High Life or, Mm -hmm. you know, or or whatever. Genuine draft. product on that Mm. car, I, I can't remember the last time it wasn't the primary, the main primary sponsor for that number two car. I mean that dates back, and there's so many paint schemes. I can remember that black and gold paint scheme, uh, the Rusty Wallace ran. That sure. was one of my favorites.
1: And then going so back it, to in, to Dieguard with Bobby Allison too.
3: Oh yeah, that's it, forever. We've had Miller in the sport, and now, it, but that doesn't surprise me because the company that owns right. them now and owns Coors and owns almost every beer brand in, in America is not known for putting a lot of money in sports. And, in fact, when they bought up some European brands years ago, all of those European brands got out of uh, soccer Mm -hmm. sponsorships with various teams. They do not sponsor a lot of teams. They do sponsor events instead and facilities. So that's probably where that money is going to be going in the future.
1: Well, and, and, you know, we've been critical of NASCAR, but I mean, it's, 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 it's sports in general and that sponsorship is so hard to find. And I I think the, 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 the secret that a lot of, a lot of people don't want to talk about is after the economic downturn in 2008, a lot of companies pulled back in sponsorship and and then they noticed when the, you know, the economy kind of started to turn around that, well, you know what, I don't Sponsoring a car really doesn't make that much difference. So uh, you know, well, I mean
3: more of a novelty. Right, like it's you know a novelty thing for the owner of the company.
1: Right. So I mean uh, for Brad Keselowski this year, you got Miller Lite for one race, you have Auto Trader, Discount Tire, who has a you know, a big presence in NASCAR, Dent Wizard, Alliance Truck Parts, Wallbash National, and Money Lion. I mean, this is Team Penske. I mean, grant I mean I mean yeah. you know, this is 20 years ago this would not this would not be on a frontline team so you know and,
3: yeah, and, and I talked I, I talked to a representative and I'm not going to mention the brand because I don't want to throw them under the bus but it really startled me last year because I wanted to do a profile of a particular company um, and the one of the brands that they brought to NASCAR I wanted to do a whole thing about how the return on investment in NASCAR is still a good thing. And he said, "I'm not going to come on and lie. This is a major brand yeah. that is with a major team, and he was honest enough to tell me, you know, don't don't do this interview because the only reason that we get sponsored is because the owner or he loves racing yeah. mm-hmm. and loves the owner of the team, and that's why he spends his money. He no longer gets what his marketing people think is a." is a really good 10-to-1 or 20-to-1 return on investment anymore. But he does it because he loves the sport. And God love him for keeping his money in the sport. But when you get these big corporations with a board of directors to answer to, they can't do that.
1: Right. Uh, we're we're kind of running up on time here, so let's do six and seven coming up next.
3: Well, I'll do seven and six real quick. Chase Elliott, I kind of wonder how much Hendrick is going to get better. Mm-hmm. I've got him in the number seven slot. And i got the most talented driver in NASCAR in the number six slot. And you mentioned him earlier in the show, Young Money. If we had a, a, an analytic like you have in NFL and baseball now, where it was a, a team-independent racing talent, Kyle Larson would be number one, but he's saddled with a team that slows him down. So I cannot put him any higher than number
1: six. And that, and even that is a little high, I think. Even though they did make some oh, yeah. inroads at the end of the year, and hopefully they can continue on that momentum. But uh, yeah, it, it it's going to be an uphill battle for that team. But I'm hoping maybe with the uh, with them pulling back on their IMSA program and that some of that 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 those people can you know, rotate over the IndyCar side and also NASCAR side and more of that manpower can help him and get him to the front of the pack. Now let's go through, let's just do the the top five then.
3: Absolutely. Joey Logano proved that it's hard to repeat as a champion, so he's in at number five. But, you know, whenever you're past champion so recently, i got to like his chance. Then at number four, I have Mark Martin. I mean, Denny Hamlin, uh, (laughs) the new Mark Martin. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know how he has not won a championship to this point, uh, but I I put him in at number four, you know, just out of the whim that, uh, you know, he might uh, outdo Mark Martin and not be the the most talented driver not to win a a title anymore and hand that title back to to Mark. In the number three slot, Mr. Kevin Harvick, there's only three drivers with double-digit wins over the last three seasons, and Happy Harvick is one of them. The two guys that are ahead of him are the other two, and they're with the best team right now, JGR. Your defending champion, Kyle Bush. Uh, I put him in at number two because nobody's repeated since 2010, and that means i switched his teammate, Martin Truex Jr., to the top. New crew chief in all. I think he's going to get it done, and he's going to have a championship year this year
1: very interesting yeah that, that that's the most compelling part of it is is how that new relationship works out you know in the past it, it hasn't really affected too much uh whether if you're Kevin Harvick or that and the the team overall is so strong so you, you know it might you they might hit some bumps in the road uh, you know communication issues perhaps maybe early in the season but you know let's face it NASCAR that doesn't matter what matters is that second half of the season too and just stay you know that's with true. with the group so Dennis, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, looking forward to uh, the the top sixteen list.
3: Well, thank you very much. And uh, for my wide world of motorsports uh, podcast, that'll be starting up for the twentieth of this month. We're going to have maybe a really major announcement of a major website and publication that we're teaming up for, uh, with for 2020 and also a way that uh, listeners to the final inspection can save some money this year and i know you guys love to do that so uh yep gonna be an exciting 2020 year uh at dmike media follow me on twitter at dmike media
1: very good thank you dennis appreciate it. Appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting with you next week. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show, we're going to talk with Indianapolis 500 winner Tom Sneva.
0: This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. On 1057
1: FM, The Fan. Steve Zadke back with the Final Inspection Show. I'm at the Midwest Racing Preservation Association you know, just outside of Chicago. I'm here with the 1983 Indianapolis 500 winner, Tom Sneva. And, of course, he's known for that, but you also won three three races in a row at Milwaukee, didn't you?
5: Yeah, we, we had a lot of good luck at Milwaukee. Uh, we enjoyed the racetrack, uh, like I mentioned before, the short ovals. Were a lot of fun because the driver could be a little bit more of a factor in the in the total program than than a place like Indianapolis or the bigger tracks. But uh, you know what makes racing fun is uh, the wheel-to-wheel competition with other drivers and passing people and and setting the car up to be a little bit better and everybody else is in the corner.
1: And yeah, one of those. Uh... One of those races, you actually had to wait a while because there was some controversy. Which, uh, for some of the fans that may not remember, um, I think it was the the June race you won, and you had a bunch of people on the car, and then it didn't pass the height clearance, if I recall right.
5: Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Back then, there was no uh, there was no security around Victory Circle, and everybody's you know sitting in the car, high five and doing whatever. and... And it, it has to go through tech inspection after it goes through victory circle, and uh, it was pretty amazing. It was
1: uh, what was really amazing is that,
5: uh, and I didn't see this, but I heard this. What, what happened is that Roger was helping the tech inspectors uh, measure parts of the car, and anyway, they found it to be too low, and. and tried to claim that we weren't the winner of the race but uh we appealed that and, and sure enough we, we
1: got the win and just so happened uh, his car finished second that day too
5: <laughs> yeah. imagine that uh, yeah i don't know if that was a factor or not but uh i i never i don't remember ever roger being in the tech inspection area helping the
1: tech guys <laughs> measure cars <laughs> No, I th- we, I've, I've told you this story before. The first time I met you was at Milwaukee with my father. And we're sitting on Pit Road, and you came up and sat next to us. And that was right after your accident at Indy. And as a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing because you showed me your flash burn around your wristwatch that you had uh, from uh, when the, 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 the uh, uniform came apart. And uh, the people still talk about that that spectacular wreck. I mean, it was ABC Sports and everything it was spectacular i mean does that still come up in conversation a lot
5: yeah i mean it almost comes up more than the win, which mm. would frustrate you a little bit but uh you know a lot of times when you google sneva you'll see the crash before you see sure. the victory at indy but uh yeah, hey whatever blows their skirt up you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i thought it was just pretty cool like wow, this is a race car driver. He's got scars. This is a pretty neat deal. And you were a gentleman. I mean, uh, and ever since then, I was a fan. So, and, uh, you know, Roger Ward, you know, you were talking about before about the Milwaukee mile and that. And, you know, Roger Ward, I remember telling me as a, as a kid, you know, he's like, is a driver's track, and you can, it really separates the, the great drivers and the good drivers. And you mentioned that before. And when you, early on, you know, with, with USAC and that, you had to kind of cut your teeth on the short tracks before you were able to drive the big tracks like uh, Indianapolis and uh, Ontario. What's your first recollections of uh, Milwaukee?
5: Well, I mean, Milwaukee was closer to what you came from, you mm-hmm. know, the little three-eighths, half-mile ovals, and, uh, and it wasn't that much bigger. I can remember the first time I went to Indy, it was just unbelievable. I mean I'd run probably a day and a half and and I'm thinking I'm getting up up to being competitive. And I come in after a day and a half of practice at Indy and I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm on the ragged edge. I'm I gotta be close. And I come in, I said, Well, how do we look? And they said, Well, we're only 18 miles an hour off the pace. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, uh, maybe I'm not ready for this, but, uh, you know, three or four or five days later, you know, as you get more laps and become more comfortable, you, you close that gap and get used to the speeds. And I can remember the first time I ran Indy in practice, I only ran like three laps and I came back in the pits and they almost had to pry my hands off the wheel because you're just gripping the wheel so tight. You're not relaxed. Anyway. that. That
1: comes with practice. One of my favorite scenes when trying to describe drivers, and I heard you say this many, many years ago. You said uh, when drivers go out, it's like drawing. Some, some draw. You know, some drivers can drive it with a uh, a crayon. Uh, some some drivers can drive it with a crayon, and other ones can use like a mechanical pencil. So kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, well,
5: it's it's a fine line. You got to. You got to be able to run right on that fine line between control and, and and out of control. And the guys that can do it, lap after lap, are the guys that are going to be great. And uh, and the real good ones, you know, they draw that fine line with a real sharp pencil. The average guy driver, which most people fit in, draw with a crayon. It's a lot wider line. Sure. It gives them more room for for whatever. And uh, but the great drivers sharpen the pencil and can run right on that fine line and, and, uh, and hopefully not get over it too many times and, and
1: go fast. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and talking about Tom Steven, 1985 Indianapolis 500 winner, taking time being in the winter here. And, of course, uh, a lot of the fans know that you're into golf and that. And uh, who's, your, who's your favorite golfer? Who's the kind of the guy that kind of – that when you're watching – Okay. You know, there's Tiger in that, but is there another golfer that kind of, like, you're, this is the guy I like.
5: Well, Thanks. the guy I sort of like watching is a guy like Bubba Watson. Okay. Um, just a good old boy. I mean, he's, um, he's bought some wild cars, and, and he's sort of a free spirit and, and gets up there and takes a pretty good whack at it. And, uh, and uh, so I, I sort of enjoy watching
1: Bubba. What's your handicap?
5: Um... Are we betting or bragging? You gotta, guys got to have two hands. That's handicaps.
1: true. Okay, give me both then.
5: <laughs> no, I'm about a 12-handicap. 12, handicap,
1: wow, okay. Uh, all right. And, uh,
5: but, you know, at 71, the ball doesn't quite go as far as it used to, so it makes it a little harder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Tom, thanks for taking time out.
0: Milwaukee, start, start your engines. Your engine. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki.
1: And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. We're at to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Make sure you get your 2020. 2020- Season passes now from Great Lakes Dragway and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is David Land from his YouTube channel, David Land, L-A-N-D. Welcome to the show, David. It's good
6: to be back. Glad you're back, Steve, and uh, I'm excited to talk some racing with you.
1: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a couple months, and uh, certainly, you know, I, I personally don't mind the break. I, I kind of feel sad for the people who are like, you know, after, uh, you know, homestead or phoenix or you know whatever whatever final race of the year that they're into you know a couple of weeks later like oh i can't wait for racing season it's like good get out there and live your life do other things travel see people but uh i i i kind of always enjoy it because uh what 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 makes the what what's the old saying uh absence makes the heart fonder so uh, this is uh this is one of my favorite weeks of the year for uh you know, when it comes to motorsports, because you get cars back on the track, even though we've we've been teased, as I said in the previous hour, with the with the Chili Bowl in the 24 Hours of Daytona, which we'll we'll talk a little bit more about later in the show today. But, uh, uh, your last video I just watched this morning, and uh yeah, we got 43 cars at Daytona. Uh, is that a good thing, bad thing, or is it a sad thing? <laughs> Well, it's
6: funny you should ask that question to lead off. Uh, So, as we know, 43 cars used to be a full field at Daytona. So, uh, unfortunately, we've got the charter system now, which has reduced the field size to 40 cars. And, of course, that also locks in, you know, 36 teams. So, what you're really looking at is about seven teams that are going for those final four spots in the field. And they're all the, with the exception of Daniel Suarez, who's in a in a, a kind of a semi Joe Gibbs, uh, Toyota, uh, you, have got pretty much the, 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 back markers, the back markers, the, the least funded drivers that are going to be the ones wrecking their cars to try to get into the 500 field, uh, on, uh, next uh, Thursday. So it's, it, I, so from that perspective, I guess it's better than it has been in the previous years, where maybe you have one car going home or no cars going home, uh, like it was a couple years ago. But at the same time, it's it's all the small teams that are essentially going to be ruining themselves financially to get in this race.
1: Right. It's certainly kind of, it's kind of frustrating because yeah, you're like okay, 43 cars. These guys should be all made, you know, all making it. But now they've made this change. Okay, it's 40 cars now, so they, you know, they can. It's it's easier for them to get a full field now. And even though even with that though we're not going to have 40 cars in some of the races but then you wonder well maybe they should run 43 cars at Daytona but then we don't have nothing why are we running qualifying races so it, it's kind of frustrating in a way but you know i i, I don't know it, it it is as it is what it is as they say in the, in the world isn't it
6: yeah and unfortunately they've they've just re this uh, news literally just came out was that they've just renegotiated the charter system, which is of course the, the way they lock in the, the big teams. And uh, it's good news for the big teams because they're going to get more money. The problem is the open cars, the ones we're just talking sure. about those seven that don't have the, the uh, charter are going to get less money going forward. So that's exciting.
1: Yeah. You know, and they, this is kind of what they want. They want to reward the full-time guys and, and, and charters. And I think eventually, yeah, for for me, uh, it it it's always been kind of compelling seeing the, the the. And I'm I'm a weird guy. Yeah, I I like you know I got a buddy of mine who who always teases me because I always like the backmarker indie cars and whatnot. But I, I yeah, that's one of the compelling things I thought for fans was having that local guy trying to get into whether it's a truck right you know truck team or you know in the truck series or that getting his first ride. You know, the local track champion gets a ride. And it just feels like with them shrinking back, especially on the cup side, it's kind of taking that that part of the, you know, the appeal of racing away from the the people that follow the local guys into racing full time or into the big time, I should say.
6: Well, it's, it's wish fulfillment. You get to live vicariously through mm-hmm. some of these smaller guys, these smaller teams. You know, Daytona doesn't have a Delma Coward anymore. You know, right. you, you can't just like say, oh, man, I'm kind of like that guy. You know, he works a, you know, a blue collar job, he's going to Daytona to race. You, you don't really have those guys through for you. You just, and I, and I hate to sound this way because I sound really, really old, but it's just like, you know, you got a bunch of rich kids in there now, and, it, and it's tough to connect to some of these guys. Uh, or at least it's harder than it used to be in the past. And like you said, you know, I don't think it's that weird to be intrigued by the, by the back of the field drama, because oftentimes that's more interesting because those guys really have something to lose. They're, they're there all or nothing, and it's, it's really intriguing to see who gets in, who, who doesn't get in, and, and how, they, how uh, some guys are able to make their dreams come true.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the, another change uh, from last year to this year that, that, that's occurred is, is the tweaking of the stages. And that's the the timing of them when they, when they happen. Now, I personally like it because I, I feel how they're having the stages this year in 2020 is how they should have been in the first place. I always thought it was a little too artificial to have short stage, short stage, and then the rest of the race was, was about half of the race. I think this way it's a little more even, if it if that makes sense, or balanced, I should say.
6: Well, sure. It's essentially uh, it's essentially a hockey game now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's cool, yeah, yeah. It's a good yeah. way of looking at it.
6: I, I mean, it. I, I wish you know. Again, I'm, I'm a traditionalist, so I, I wish they wouldn't throw any arbitrary cautions. I think awarding points in the middle of the race isn't a terrible idea, but but I think the the, the cautions in the middle really break up the flow of the race, and and I, especially in a 500 miler with, with with a tradition of having a lot of yellows and red flags and stuff like that, I I don't know why you want to make the race go on longer than it's going to yeah. go on. But but from 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 that perspective, if you're talking strictly, you know, I think you're probably right that that making the stages each stage longer is probably going to lead to a better race, hopefully, anyway.
1: Yeah, you know, would it be better off just re- rewarding or just doing a, a bonus point, playoff point, whatever you want to call it, at, at the halfway point and just That's it, no no caution flag. Would that be more compelling? Maybe.
6: Well, I think you can. I think you could literally keep the stages as they are and just not throw a caution. I think awarding points two or three times a race. I think that's a that would be an interesting way to make it interesting to make teams take some risks with strategy. But the problem is the way it is structured now with the caution. If a team takes a, a strategy risk to win a stage, so to speak, they're mm-hmm. not really punished for it because there's a caution and they can pit under yellow and XYZ. I think if the green flag was stayed out uh, through the end of a stage, I think you would really see teams have to make a choice. Okay, do we want points or do we want to actually want to you know, get the overall race win? That could be really compelling, but we're probably never, ever going to see that.
1: We were talking to Dennis Michelson in the first part of the hour. We're kind of going through he's got a top 16, kind of like a ranking system. And uh, nothing, no real surprises uh, in the top 16, at least in my opinion. But is there somebody who's, I don't want to say on the hot seat, but who do you think on from, from the cup side uh, can make that next step up, do you think?
6: Well, I think a lot of people are pointing at William Byron right now. Uh, there's A lot of people thinking he's going to have a breakout year. I would tend to agree with that. Uh, I think there's there's so many people high on him. Uh, and especially because it seems like Chevrolet's got a completely new commitment this year with a different body that will hopefully uh, be a little more uh, competitive with the Toyotas and Fords. So I think William Byron would probably be my choice. I mean, the one I'm really watching, and it's not really a shock, is Christopher Bell. I'm, mm-hmm. ec- I'm ecstatic to see what he's going to end up doing this year, but I don't know if it's necessarily much of a hot take to say Christopher Bell is a hell of a race car driver.
1: Am I foolish to think that maybe Kyle Larson can capitalize on the momentum he had towards the end of last year, or am I just going to get disappointed again?
6: It's so Larson is such a hot and cold driver, and a lot of times it's not even his fault. He just seems to, especially at the Daytona Five Hundred, get struck by a lot of bad luck, and especially in the early year part of the year, not just at Daytona, but it seems like Daytona always sets the tone for. For Kyle mm-hmm. Larson's season and then around the midpoint he finally starts to get his groove back and by then it's probably too late to, to get the championship so uh, you know I would love to see Larson start hot because I think if Larson ever strung a season together I mean he would be unbeatable but right now I just I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on Larson.
1: You know I, I mentioned that maybe because of the, with them pulling back on their, their GTLM program with with the Ford GT and that you know keeping the you know keeping the they kept a lot of the, that team and they're being worked into the the team that maybe that somehow can help having more engineering guys, maybe throwing the, you know, that may help. I don't know. I would hope so. And I'm kind of hoping that's what kind of helped them at towards the end of last year. Cause boy, it is, you know, for, for somebody who's been following Kyle Larson for, for, since he kind of broke into USAC, you know, it, it's been, I, 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 when he came in, I said, I, I told Sparky used to be on on the show here. I said he he, he this kid is not going to win a championship. He's going to win multiple championships, and sadly, I've been w- totally wrong on that. I, it's, it could still happen if he gets for a real team, but boy, I mean, I, I've been waiting for this kid to pop uh, and and become a superstar as he should be, but it just has not happened.
6: I don't know. Maybe he ends up in that forty eight car next year, and uh, still we start say, talking I, about multiple yep, championships.
1: I you know, and 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 I said. I said this towards the end of last year. I said not only is it Chevy, I think Chevy wants him in that car, and it, it just it makes sense. It just makes perfect sense for him to be in that 48 car.
6: He would be my choice. Uh, my, uh, looking yeah. at the available drivers, I, I think he's he's number one.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of excited about that. We'll see what happens. I mean, but yeah. Certainly is the guy. I tell you what, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, coming up here, but before we go, um, is, is there? What about um, um, Blaney? Is 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 he the, the the next kid? I mean, the twelve car. I just think he could be the other kid that that, that could really kind of this this could be his year.
6: Oh yeah, Blaney's another one of those guys. that's a powder keg, and you just don't really know when he's gonna take off. He's shown some absolute flashes of brilliance. But, again, he hasn't put it all together yet. Mm-hmm. When he does, and, and Roger doesn't hire people just willy-nilly. Uh, there's a reason he's in a Penske car. Uh, you, you think it, sooner rather than later, he's going to really show what he's made
1: of. All right, we're talking with uh, David Land. Make sure you just, uh, subscribe to his uh, YouTube channel on YouTube, David L E N D. Good stuff on there. Covers the whole world of uh, auto racing from uh, NASCAR to IndyCar to F1 and more. Uh, Good stuff, all this interesting stuff. And when we come back, we're going to switch gears and uh, take a look at what's happening in the world of uh, IndyCar racing. There's been some uh, recent news in the last week on IndyCar, some rides and some surprising stuff too. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get your 2020 season passes now at Great Lakes Dragway. Make sure to check out their uh, Facebook page, uh, Great Lakes Dragway on Facebook. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is David Land. David, thank you for hanging over the break. I appreciate it.
6: No problem. Not sure what that bumper music was. Oh, come on. A little
1: fun. You know, we can't just have, you know... Uh you know regular right you got to change things up a little bit and have some fun. So I was keeping listeners on their on the on edge here. You, you never know what you're going to hear on the final inspection show. So uh <laughs> speaking of and speaking of surprises, uh a big news from Team Penske and uh, a a driver that many uh listeners might not be aware uh of, of, of who might be making his first IndyCar appearance at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the Indianapolis Grand Prix.
6: Yes. Uh, so, New Zealand's uh, uh, the supercar champion, uh, races, uh, won the Bathurst 1000 this year. Uh, his name is Scott McLaughlin. He's 26 years old, and uh, Roger Penske has described him, or at least said he reminds him of Rick Mears. That's all I think you need to know.
1: Exactly. And uh, for those who might not be aware of, uh, if you've ever seen, uh, well, I guess, sedan racing, uh, you know, you have the the English uh, sedan racing, German uh, 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 racing series, Australia, and highly entertaining series. And uh, of course, uh, with Bathurst and then in Australia, uh, exciting. They basically race around a mountain, and uh, when things go wrong, they can go wrong in a quick, uh, quick, <laughs> very quickly. Uh, if you go on YouTube, go check out Bathurst is it and and Daryl Waltrip. Yeah, Daryl Waltrip went for uh, I, f- I forget with who. Went for a ride along, and it literally scared the crap out of him. Awesome video, uh, very funny. But I mean, it is that is a serious, serious race. And McLaughlin uh, has really shown. Uh, he's he's the champion. He drives for Team Penske, and yeah, like 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 what you said. When 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 Penske gives you that type of praise, uh, you have some talent, doesn't he?
6: Oh yeah, and, and and here's the thing: is that he has always he's not made no. Uh, uh, mistake about it, he's talked uh, a lot about wanting to race in America full-time. I believe his wife is American, so that may have something to do with it, uh, but he, uh, everybody thought he was headed for NASCAR. I mean, mm-hmm. it seemed like it would be the perfect transition. I mean, the cars they race in the Supercar Championship are tube frame uh, V8 power, you know, very similar to what a, a, a stock car is now, but uh, Roger's always got that ace up his sleeve, Stuck him in an Indy car at Sebring. He was only a couple of tents off Indy Lights champ uh, Oliver Askew. And uh, Scott h- hasn't been in an open-wheel car since, I think, about 2010. So <laughs> if you think about that, th- that's a pretty major uh, achievement right there. And that means if-, if you're starting from that point, you imagine what the person's going to be like after a-, a couple of tests and some development races And, uh, you know, I would not be surprised at all if you see Scott McLaughlin in one of the Team Penske cars full-time next year in IndyCar.
1: Be Interesting to see. it. would be kind of exciting, too. I mean, uh, let's face it, maybe you would probably be the first person to go that route, I'm thinking, since someone like uh, Dario Franchitti, who came uh, from uh, sedan racing in Europe uh, back in the late 90s.
6: Yeah, you're not the first person that's brought that up to me, but yeah, Dario Franchitti had a very similar path. He ran DTM cars for Mercedes and uh they ended up bringing him into the Hogan team uh in like 97 or whatever it was. Uh, so, it, it's it's not unprecedented, but it hasn't been done in a while, but I guess if you if you use Dario as the uh as kind of the the measuring stick, I guess it's a it's it's not necessarily a bad idea to go get a touring car guy and put him in the uh, put him in an Indy car.
1: And then uh, some, uh, we had drivers, finally, uh, for uh, A.J. Foyt Racing. Of course, we're going to have uh, Charlie Kimball in the number four car. The 14 car is going to have uh, Tony Kanaan for the uh, oval races. And then we're going to have a mixture of uh, Sebastian Bourdais, at which I, I just find is a very compelling, uh, interesting situation. Him running for A.J. and Larry Foyt in the 14 car, along with uh, Dalton Kellett. And uh, can you give us a little information on Dalton Kellett, Indy Lights driver from Canada, if I recall?
6: So I believe Kellett has the record for the most Indy Lights starts career-wise. I think he's been racing since about 2013, 2012, somewhere around there. Uh, So he's got a lot of experience. Um, You know, I I don't necessarily think he's very highly touted. Uh, He could surprise, but... If you look at what other drivers have done in the A.J. Foyt team, I think it's going to be an uphill struggle for him. Now, the advantage, of course, is that he is a good oval driver. He'll be racing for them at the Indy 500, and he'll have Tony Kanaan and Charlie Kimball, who are very experienced oval drivers and, and really good setup guys as well. So that, that will help him. Uh, the road courses, I don't know about that. Now what, what will be good is that Sebastian Borde is running the first three races of the season for that team. Uh will probably help them establish a good baseline setup to work with going forward. That's probably the reason they brought him into the team to begin with. Um, but we'll just have to kind of see it. The Foyt Foyt team's going to be weird to to look at this year because it is going to be almost like a Dale Coyne uh, from like five or six years ago, where it's going to be a revolving door, a lot mm-hmm. of different drivers every single week, and it's going to be a mixed bag of performances. I think too.
1: Well, let's face it too. The other thing is is you know with with uh, Foyt Racing losing ABC, with the exception of uh, the month of May at Indy, you know they were looking for some sponsorship help. Uh, Kimball certainly. Uh, brings that, and I'm sure Kelton is bringing some money too, which, you know, let's be honest, which is the name of the game. So uh, at least we have a a viable, you know, two-car team yet and a three-car team at Indianapolis for the 500 with A.J. Foyt Racing. So that's good to see. Uh, The other compelling situation is uh, there's been a veto veto (laughs) in the world of IndyCar Racing with uh, Honda Corporate in Japan, uh, basically, nixing uh, the 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 agreement and principle with uh, uh, Fernando Alonso running with uh, Andretti this year.
6: Yeah. Now, obviously, it hasn't been confirmed by any of the parties involved, but I trust dot when they yes. report something like this. And um, so, apparently, and a lot of people think it it has a lot to do with the the bad mouthing that Fernando Alonso did of the Honda program in Formula One. Uh, The more I look at it, the less I think that has uh, a ton to do with it. I mean, obviously it didn't help, Mm -hmm. but we need to remember that just about a month ago, uh, Fernando Alonso was not only racing a Toyota at the Dakar rally, but he was heavily promoting uh, their new Yaris uh, sedan car and all this other stuff. He was doing all this promotional work for Toyota. So if you think about it, and this comes back to that Kyle Busch thing that we talked, that kind of came up in the off-season, where he's a Toyota man, he can race a Chevy in Indianapolis, but he can't race a Honda. This is the same situation. Mm-hmm. You've got a guy who has turned himself into a Toyota man over the last couple of years, winning the 24 Hours of Le Mans for them, racing in the Dakar Rally, uh, and now, you know, just a month after leaving a Toyota team in the in the rally scene, he expects Honda japan to give him a factory engine because let's face it the the andretti autosport team is essentially a factory team they they fund drivers like alexander rossi to be on that squad so it, it it's i don't know if they like the optics and i don't think they like the optics of essentially the ford of of japan uh, a ford man from japan racing a, a chevy equivalent you know it's just it's not gonna it's
1: not gonna work are we gonna see Alonso at indy this year do you think uh, I don't know. That's that's the thing. It depends who makes phone
6: calls to Honda of Japan and how much pull they have with Honda of Japan. And if you can't convince Honda of Japan to do it, then you start thinking, okay, what Chevy teams are even available at this point? Uh, you, even a team like A.J. Foyt, they're full. They've got three cars. So even if Fernando Alonso wanted to take a plunge and run uh, uh, with with uh, A.J. Foyt or an Ed Carpenter, it would be tough. Penske has said they're full. They're not interested in adding a fifth car uh, mclaren maybe maybe he goes back to mclaren uh that would be quite a, a plot twist and you know the biggest plot twist of all time would be if he if he takes his money and goes uh, to Juncos and the team that bumped him out last year is his last sure. is his last hope of getting in the field this year
1: yeah well you know if this was uh if everything was the same from last year You know, this year, if we're actually this is all happening last year, I would say, no, he's he's not going to run the 500. However, the big difference is who's in charge, Penske. And if there's somebody, if there's a guy who can get something done that can cross over all these divisions and between manufacturers and everything, there's no one better than Penske. So I I think, uh, you know, I I would say right now at this point it's 50-50, but if Roger Penske wasn't the head of IndyCar and everything involved with the sport, I would I, w- I would be at like ten percent. But he is, so I'm I'm still giving a fifty fifty that he runs this year, um, because the the one thing that 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 I think that's in Alonzo's favor is there's there's a lot of guys out there, talented people that can you can put a team together that is still pretty talented with, you know, with with somebody with his his talent. You can bring guys who are maybe not in the sport full time that are talented and know what they're doing and put together a team. So I think that that's what he has going f- forward for him, and along with uh, you know Penske itself. Because I mean, if you look at Penske, he's worked with every manufacturer, and there's nobody better uh, from a, from the aspect of not burning bridges than Roger Penske.
6: Yeah, he's really gonna have to put out a big fire there. <laughs> I'll just say that
1: it's not going to be easy that's for sure but if somebody's up to the task and and can at least make some phone calls and put some people together it's him so uh you know and, and I'm glad to see tony Canon I like the i like the situation with that he's in with the five oval races and because i you know I don't want to see tony Connon you know qualifying you know 22nd at at Toronto and and you know 20th at Detroit so I kind of like that with him just running the ovals
6: sure i mean i think that will be the those will be the races he will perform best at but if you ask him he says he wanted to run the full season so it's, it's uh, kind of, of a disappointment from that
1: yeah he's gonna <laughs> say that he's gonna say that but you know when you see how he ran at gateway last year i mean he was on the podium for god's sakes and for that team what he was able to do you know he was able to hustle that car around there and and you know god bless him but it's gonna be it's it's gonna be tough and uh but Father Time catches up with us all, doesn't it? And uh, Tony Kanon is—it'll uh, be interesting to see what happens with him after IndyCar and what he actually where he where he goes with uh, within the sport. Talking to David Land on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. One final question before we go here, David. Uh, you were down at Daytona a couple weeks ago for the 24 Hours of Daytona. Can I give us uh, give us a quick uh, little? Couple minutes here of what you saw down there. What what kind of things you you brought from Daytona this year?
6: Well, that was my first time I'd ever gone to Daytona. Been inside the track anyway. I'd been in Daytona, USA before. Uh, first time going to a twenty-four hour race, um, and I have to say the, the facility uh, TV really does not do Daytona justice. I mean, the Daytona Rising uh, grandstands are just really incredible to behold in real life, and the banking. You know, again, uh, you probably hear this so much, but until you walked up the banking, even in the tri-oval, it's just unbelievable that race cars drive around that at 200 miles an hour. It really is uh, a pretty uh, fascinating facility. Uh, the race itself was just uh, was everything you could expect. I mean, it was just a, a buffet, an unlimited buffet of racing. Uh, and unfortunately, it was, the, it was the smallest field in the history of the race, something like 38 cars, which sounds like a big field. But if you consider it's a four-mile road course, and it's a 24-hour race. You know, the cars get spread out. But it wasn't a terrible race, uh, especially in the GTLM division. You had BMW, Porsche, and Corvette, you know, just going hammer and tongs pretty much the entire race, uh, swapping the lead multiple times. Uh, and really, I mean, it came down to like three or four cars on the lead lap at the end of it in GTLM. Uh, Wayne Taylor Racing won overall and in the DPI category. Uh, Not really a surprise. They've won that race three of the last four years, and (laughs) it doesn't look like they're going to stop anytime soon. Kamui Kobayashi is a star, uh, one of the drivers from the Toyota LMP1 program who drove that car just brilliantly. Um, And Mazda actually finished the 24 hours with both of their cars. I think that's something that I didn't even point out as much as I probably should have. That car has been notoriously unreliable, and suddenly they have not only reliability, but they're able to maintain pace because they finished second on the lead lap, and hey, you know, once we get to Sebring, maybe they'll uh, be able to pull it off there.
1: Did you nap at all?
6: No. I, I was really? going to do the whole 24 hour. Yep, I did the whole 24 hours. Uh, and I'll probably do it again next year because <laughs> there was some entertainment value in some of the silly things I would say because I did reports every six hours of the race on my channel.
4: Okay. And so,
6: you know, when you get to that hour eighteen report, boy, I was I was a bit loopy. <laughs> so, so from that perspective, I mean, uh, you know, I may, do, you know, when I do the race next year, I'll probably do that again just because of the the entertainment factor.
1: All right, David, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Looking forward to make sure you check out uh, David Land on YouTube, L-A-N-D. Subscribe to his stuff. All his good stuff, and we'll chat with you again soon. Sounds good, Steve. Always nice to talk to you. All right, that was David Land on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have a new segment. We're going to give it a shot here. Three questions with Larry coming up next on The Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you check out their gift store on Facebook and uh, get your 2020 season passes. Uh, look them up. They'll let you know when the gift store is open. And also you can get them online at greatlakesdragway.com. Uh, check them out. And it's one of the best deals In family fund, you can get anywhere at GreatLakesDragway.com. Joining us under Great Midwest Bank Hotline, a new segment here. We got three questions with Larry. Larry, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Steve. So, you know, it's been a while since we've taken uh, calls from uh, from listeners. And and to be honest, I I it just got me mad when I took some of the calls back in the old days. <laughs> but Larry Larry Larry's a buddy of mine, uh very well very well versed in the sport of auto racing, and he always asked me great questions when we would chat after the show or during the week or something. So I thought, you know what, give me three questions, uh, and then I will t- see what what happens. So give me a question, Larry. What's your question of the day right now? Okay, well, first of all, David Land stole my number one
2: that I had on my list about uh, what's going on with uh, Penske IndyCars, so we'll slide down the list. And uh, also, I'd like to thank Great Lakes Dragway for returning as your major sponsor. That's great news.
1: It certainly is. We okay. certainly appreciate their support. And uh, and it looks, like we're going to have also have David Hobbs Honda joining us once again. We're working out the final details of that. We're gonna working out some new stuff with them. Uh, perhaps more online uh, content in that, and we'll keep the listeners uh, uh, updated on that when we can announce that in the near future.
2: Wonderful. Okay, this first one, uh, I know that you're one of the 72 members that votes on the National uh, Sprint Car Hall of Fame inductees every year. Now, this past week, NASCAR announced them, I thought, really significant bad changes to the way they're, Hall of Fame inductees are going to be selected. What are your thoughts on what they announced?
1: Um, yeah, I saw that, and uh, I have some friends that are on other committees, and they're kind of uh, writers and whatnot involved on in kind of the media side and more more of the historical point. They were very negative on what they thought because there's always concerned our our concern as as, as NASCAR fans in that. That a lot of the you know, and I, I, we've we've talked about talked about it on this show is the, the guys like Smokey Eunuch and and, and and fellows like that, who are kind of forgotten and kind of pushed to the side. And let's face it, there's some politics involved. Uh, Smokey you, you used to like the I don't want to say stick it to the the people in Daytona. You know, he was from Daytona himself, but. You know, we, we want guys like that to get the recognition. You know, hats off to of the Hall of Fame to bring in a guy like Alan Kowicki because if, you, if, if you're if you just looking at – if if you're not really averse with and know the history of NASCAR and just look at a media guy, you look at somebody like Alan Kowicki, you're like, well, he only won the one championship and he only has five wins and 20 polls. Why is he, you know, why is he in the Hall of Fame? Well, it's not – it's not the hall, you know, as I like to say, and other, you know, uh, other people have mentioned, it's not the hall of numbers. It's a hall of fame. And sometimes we get a little, and we've done this on other shows with, you know, of course, with, with, with the football, with, with their announcements and what, who should go in and who should not. Sometimes people are stuck on numbers a little bit too much. And, and it's what the impact of them on the game. Did they change the game? You know, if somebody was is is on the field, whether it's a football game or a baseball game or basketball, you know, did you have to change your game plan? It's kind of like the same thing with racing. If you're if you're at a, at a at a dirt track, let's say in a traveling series like the World of Outlaws or something, if so and so showed up, you're like, oh oh, we're in trouble. You know, is 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 that person that kind of type of racer? Same thing with NASCAR. You know, when when guys would show up. You, you know, is this somebody that you have to have to be, you know, real, you know, like, what is this guy do going to do? I mean, are we going to be able to beat this guy this weekend? And, and you know, when when you had somebody like Alan Kowicki, who was so good on the short tracks, such as Bristol and North Wilkesboro, and, and, and you know, and, you know, the sad thing, the frustrating thing with somebody like Alan Kowicki is when he was killed he had finally gotten the team to where it needed to be because he was always behind on the restrictor plate racing and somewhat on the um, on the road courses and that finally in the 92 season he was tr- finally probably he really didn't have a weakness and of course then he goes out and wins the championship and then it's all taken away unfortunately but that was i think the most frustrating part when you followed allen's career he would look good at certain tracks he usually would get on the pole at some place like Bristol, North Wilkesboro, some of the short tracks, Martinsville, whatever, or Richmond, I should say. And, and you know, you're like, oh, oh we got Talladega next week, though. Yeah, he's probably not going to finish better than 12th or whatever or some other tracks. And, you know, as, as he continued and worked on this program within the World of the Cup Series, it got better and better and better. So, you know, that's it. I just hope that it doesn't become – I, I just hope they can leave some of the politics out of it regarding the Hall of Fame.
2: I think that they made a big mistake from going from five a year down to three. And I think NASCAR has forgotten that sure, surely the Cup Series is the main thing. But mm-hmm. they have other divisions that guys have been uh, you know strong supporters of them. And uh, out of the 55 guys that are already in the Hall of Fame now, there's two guys from the modified
1: division, one guy from the truck division and one guy from the Bush. uh, To be honest though, I I'm really surprised that those guys got in myself though. I mean,
2: really? Yeah. And and you know what? I think that they should have, when they were looking for the way they laid this out, they should have uh, actually considered having a cup division, uh, hall of fame and a hall of fame for their lesser divisions. Mm -hmm. It, it, or something along that line. And it's really uh, overpowered by drivers. There's 55 guys in, and the 36 of them are drivers. That uh, seems like there it leaves a lot to be desired for uh, mechanics and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, my, uh, my second question is maybe really way out there, but I remember there used to be a saying, win, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Well, if you look at the uh, auto industry right now, it's about 70% of the vehicles that are sold in North America are trucks and SUVs, and uh, only 30% or so are sedans. Now, I know NASCAR has a truck division, but do you think there would be anybody, any series that would look to actually have some type of a racing series for SUVs?
1: No. Because that's
2: Uh, a gigantic segment of the market of the vehicles that are actually being sold to the people in the, the United
1: States. It is, but they could care less about racing. And I don't think there's anything that would, and you know, that is, see, this is why we have Larry on. This is a very good question, but I, I think I, I, there's nothing to really to gain from there. You know, the people that would, would buy them. I, now I bought an SUV just recently, a, a Honda actually. And, uh, but I, I, that's not why it's it's I didn't buy it because Honda has a Formula One team I didn't buy it because they're involved in in, in IndyCar racing although I'm happy that they do but I I, you know I just don't I'm trying you know the last time I bought a car because I thought it was cool and then because of the racing heritage was I bought a uh a 1988 Ford Thunderbird because I really liked that car and uh, that's the that's the one that was between, you look at the traditional Bill Elliott, the Coors car that ran from the 83 to 86 body style. Well, the, for two years, they ran like a, 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 they tweaked that body style in 87 and 88, which uh, Davey Allison, of course, Elliott did, and Alan Kowicki ran when he was running Xerox and that. And then in 89, they, they changed the body style completely to like the car that he won the championship in. But I really liked that '88, uh, 87 and 88 Ford Thunderbird body style. And one of the reasons why was because it looked so cool on the racetrack, and I just liked it. And I was buying Mustangs at the time. It was a Thunderbird. I wanted something a little bit different, and I uh, ended up with it uh, buying a Thunderbird because of that.
2: All right. So this is not my third question, but did you buy that new Honda at David Hobbs?
1: Uh, David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Road. Make sure you check them out. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, fu- you know, uh, it's it's my third vehicle I bought from them, and it is, uh, was certainly an enjoyable experience. You should check them out.
2: Good. Okay, my third question is, with uh, Roger Penske having bought uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series, does that open up any kind of a road so that uh, indie cars could possibly return to the Milwaukee Mile?
1: I think Roger understands that if if they um, if they can put the bright package together with a promoter, they will be. And I, I think uh, five ovals is not enough. I think we'd like to have more. You talk to people about that; uh, they certainly agree. I, I've always joked. Give me a million bucks and the date after the Indianapolis 500, I'll put together a team and run a, and promote a race there. No problem. We'll put 30,000 people in, in those stands. We can do that. Uh, but it, it just, I think part of the problem is the date. So,
2: mm-hmm. And it seems like the people at uh, Wisconsin State Fair now are more. Yes, open. they are.
1: They realize yeah. that that racetrack is not going away because. Folks, they still owe money on that racetrack, so it's not going to go anywhere. You can't tear down something you still owe money on. So, Larry, we're running up against a break here. We got Eddie Lapine coming up next. We certainly appreciate it. We'll chat next week, okay, buddy?
2: Okay, Z-Man. Take care.
1: All right, take care. Uh, Coming up next, Eddie Lapine. We're going to talk more IMSA racing, 24 Hours of Daytona, coming up next on The Final Inspection Show. (laughs) And welcome back to the final inspection show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Straightway. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Eddie Lapine. Eddie, welcome to the show.
7: Happy New Year, guys. How hey, are you today?
1: Excellent, excellent. Hey, I just wanted to uh, just mention this uh, uh, while we're on the air here. Uh, unfortunately, we lost John Andretti to uh, uh, cancer last week. Uh, and uh, it just I was in Indianapolis, and uh, we were uh, – uh, Dave the King Wilson – Radio personality and just personality in in, in general, down involved in racing in Indianapolis. Uh, He worked with John with the Riley's uh, with the Riley Children's Foundation, and the race for Riley was a a charity they did for the Riley Hospital for Children in Indianapolis. And John Andretti was a big part of that with uh, Dave Wilson. And over over the years, they've raised uh, close to five million dollars uh for that organization and just you know john andretti of course you know a heck of a racer one of the few guys to win not only in, in indycar and nascar but also usac and IMSA, and that and uh very very sad to hear him pass away from cancer at the age of 56 uh wh- what's your recollection of john andretti uh, eddie
7: well don't forget drag racing too. drag
1: racing too not yes
7: Wait, but uh you know, he was just an all-around nice guy.
1: He was, wasn't he? Uh, he took the time with the
7: fans, and, uh, you know, he just, you know, he'd stop in the pits and shoot the breeze.
4: Mm-hmm. And
7: uh, he was uh, a, a special guy. I mean, he had a special talent, never was in the best ride at the best time, and maybe his record doesn't reflect that, but he was just a great guy, and when he was, discovered with uh colon cancer um he really stepped up to the plate with the charities and did a lot of charitable things and
1: also the awareness remember. too to get checked Checking yeah. for andretti
7: exactly and you know they they did a lap at indy uh in the hearse with him. yeah the other i saw day, that and it yeah. was uh, pretty pretty moving to see that on facebook and you know, like I said, you know, Andretti's, you know, they love Indianapolis. Yeah, they do. And uh, it was, uh, he'll never be forgotten, definitely.
1: Um, let, let's switch to more uh, better news, and that's uh, a friend of the show and a friend of yours, Eddie, that's Doug Feehan, going into the Corvette uh, Hall of Fame uh, for 2020. And a lot of Corvette in the news, of course, with the 24 Hours of Daytona and the new, new rear-engine or mid-engine Corvette, had its debut at the 24 Hours of Daytona. And uh, what, what can you tell us about that?
7: Well, I mean, Doug Fian, we've had him on the radio show. Another guy that does a lot of stuff for charity. And he's just instrumental in making a lot of things happen at Corvette all these years. Winning so much stuff. At the 24-hour race a few weeks ago, they came out with the car and, they ran really decent. I mm-hmm. mean, they had some trouble, and, you know, it was the first time, and finished fourth. And I think they'll be reckoned. I think at Sebring, it could be a different thing. I think it'll be a little more even playing field there. And I think the BMW had uh, an advantage at Daytona this year, so I think it'll switch hands. And we also had an announcement that uh, Jan Magnussen will be back in the Corvette at Coda. Yeah, and Mike Rockenfeller will, they will be running the uh, WEC FIA WEC, the World Endurance Championship at Coda, which was rescheduled from the Brazil cancellation. They're going to have that race at the end of the month, and then they'll move to Sebring for the uh, Super Weekend, where they'll have a. Tw- Twelve-hour race of Sebring and the ten-hour race of the WEC, which is was just unbelievable last year.
1: Yeah, and what what there's some rumors going on with Formula One and Mercedes. What's the latest going on uh, w- with them?
7: Well, like I said last year, we were talking about this, and
1: you know, with with the changing,
7: and I know you guys hate when I talk about Formula E, but you know <laughs> how I said six years ago about Formula E. All the manufacturers, and I, I will quote myself what I said six years ago, are going to it now. And now Mercedes has won so much. That's why you're hearing all these rumors and speculating about uh, Lewis Hamilton going to Ferrari. And uh, I think that's a lot has to do with Mercedes is going to exit Formula One at the end of the year when, when the rules change. And I think what's going to happen is they're going to supply engines to McLaren and other customers and keep that side of it going. But I think the chassis and the complete Mercedes factory is is just they're, – they're changing actually the factory over in Europe. They're mm-hmm. converting it to electric, yep. for, uh, not for so much for Formula E, but I think road cars in general – as Audi has done and now it's just another manufacturer that's jumped in to Formula E I mean they're up to 24 cars now
1: yeah well that's and- that that's where the manufacturers are looking to expand that area and what better way to do it is through the world of motorsports. I tell you what, we, we will talk more about Formula E and Formula One coming up here as the season progresses and also with teams like Williams and where they're going to be. Eddie, thank you for joining the show. We appreciate everybody coming on the show. David Land and Dennis Michelson along with Tom Sneva earlier today. We'll see you next week on the Final Inspection Show.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch minimum of four lines for 25 dollars per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account five dollars more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement Due 35 per line connection charge apply ctmobile.com